so welcome to the next episode of the Tree Lady Talks. Today Sharon is speaking to John Ryan, the Arboricultural Manager at the London Borough of Islington. And any chewing you can hear in the background is a is a 35 kilogram golden retriever. Notwithstanding that, Sharon, what does John do? Tell us. Well, John is the Arboricultural Manager and he looks after a really great team of tree officers. And I really wanted to talk to John because he can give us a real insight into what it's like being a tree officer, because that too is a great career. And also it follows on so neatly from last week where we talked to John Parker and he was talking about green equity. And that's really looking at where a tree's growing and does that match where people need them. I think it's really interesting what John said about trees necessarily, green spaces not being in, shall we say, poorer areas of the country they seem to be in wealthy areas there's more green space in wealthy areas I know John's going to talk about that a bit isn't he? Yes and how to redress that balance so without further ado let's have a good chat with John Ryan. You better go and get a marrow then. In I know place. I know we've got so many marrow does anybody want one? Hello my name is Sharon Durden Hollenby and you're listening to Tree Lady Talks. All views expressed by me or the interviewee are our own and all production and music is by Noel Durden Hollenby. Hi John, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview for our podcast Tree Lady Talks. For those of you who don't know, John is the Arboricultural Manager for the London Borough of Islington. So how did you get involved with trees? Well firstly, thank you very much for having me Sharon, it's lovely to be here. Do you remember the 87 storm? Oh, too young. why? No, of course I'm not. <laughs> I was a student at the time and I slept through it. And I I, likewise, it. I slept slept through the whole thing. But shortly after the aftermath, I, I found myself, I don't know, I must be about 18. And um, I was between jobs. I'd done really well at school, surprisingly, and then flunked sixth form. And my brother grabbed hold of me. And I think he was probably told to by my parents, give him a good talking to and um, he, he sort of took me out and said, well, what are you going to do with your life? Come on, you're 18 now, time to get a career. Oh, I didn't have a clue. He said, what do you want to do? I want to work outdoors. I want to have fun. I want something exciting. And he coincidentally had a friend who'd been to Capel Manor on a tree surgery course. I didn't even know tree surgery was an option. Um, I, I, obviously, I, I brought up in the countryside, always been around trees, loved trees, loved woodlands, um, but didn't ever consider it as a career choice. So... I applied for Marist Wood, but they wouldn't let you in in those days unless you had two years apprenticeship. Um, so I went away, started off as a groundsman, um, ended up as a tree surgeon, went out to Frankfurt, spent a couple of years in Germany, spent a couple of doing street trees, spent a couple of years in Portugal, just outside Lisbon, uh, doing woodland management, yeah. um, went to the Bahamas, wow. moving palm trees, and then ended up in London for about a dozen years, um, working for a big company called Tree Care. Yeah. Um, as a tree surgeon, loved that. Ended up helping manage there. So I had to come off the tools. My body was broken by yeah. that point. You know, your el- your wrists go, then your, your fingers go, and then your elbow goes, your back goes, your knee goes, and you suddenly realise you can't climb anymore. So I went back to Capel Manor to get my tech cert this time. I got my ND at Merriswood yeah. and then became a tree officer. Oh. And the rest is history. And then I must have met you shortly afterwards, Sharon. Yes, yes, that's right, because you were the tree officer at the London Borough of Islington. 
I really hope there'll be some people listening today that actually don't know what a tree officer really is. Well, I'm very lucky. As the Arbora Cultural Manager, I look after a team of eight people who manage all the publicly owned trees in Islington. Um, and so that's about 40,000 trees. And we inspect those trees on a three-year cycle um, uh, and attribute works to the ones that need works. And then we monitor those works and deal with all inquiries. We also look at the planning aspect as well. There's uh, two different types of arboricultural officer or tree officer. You've got the public realm officers who look after the housing, highways and parks, trees predominantly. And then you've got the planning officers who deal with works, applications and notifications to protected trees and also to planning applications and defending trees on development sites and getting mitigation for tree loss on development sites. That's a huge body of work and you know there's so many weird myths around tree preservation orders and trees in conservation areas. Um, when I was a tree officer people would say well all oaks are protected aren't they and, and you can't touch these trees but just debunk some of those myths for us. What does it really well, mean? I really wish we had as much power and authority um, as the general public would like us to have, but unfortunately we don't. Uh, there are two levels of tree protection, and the first one is a conservation area. So if you're living in a conservation area, that's a blanket protection of the historic structure, um, and it includes the trees as well, not the shrubs, but the trees as well, uh, because the trees provide valuable amenity to the green and verdant nature of the conservation yes. area. So if you want to carry any works in a conservation area, you have to give the council six weeks notice and that gives the tree officer time to work out whether the tree works are appropriate or whether the tree should be protected to protect them from inappropriate works or removal. And if they wanted to protect the trees or stop works um, from a notification, um, they would impose a tree preservation order, which is the highest level of tree protection yeah. you can afford to a tree in the UK. With a tree preservation order, you can carry out reasonable works, but you have to put in an application and the tree officer will determine whether that application is appropriate or not. Uh, maybe help advise the tree surgeon or the tree owner on appropriate works as well. Because I think a lot of people think that uh, members of the public think the trees yeah. need pruning. Trees don't like being pruned. I think they've evolved over millions and millions of years, storm damage and grazing. So they, 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 yeah. you know, they, they can tolerate pruning, yeah. um, but they don't. I don't think they would appreciate it too much. I mean, there are some works that do help, uh, you know, trees will often outgrow their own structural capacity sometimes. So you yeah. can help trees and prolong them. And also you've got to reduce the conflicts in an urban environment. And there's a lot of pruning works that you can undertake to reduce those conflicts, cutting back from buildings, allowing people through past, and maybe helping a bit with light and encroachment. Um, but you're right, trees don't necessarily need pruning. And then as, as a, tree surgeon turned tree officer I'm poacher turned gamekeeper so uh, yes tree surgeons can be salesmen for tree work um, not all of them some of them are very good very important in fact most of them nowadays yeah there's some absolutely brilliant tree surgeons around yeah. part of the approved contractor scheme with the Cultural association so that's right excellent work being carried out there and you're quite right it's better to prune an urban tree and keep it than to fell yeah. it because it's a little bit too big for the space wonder during the lockdown that we've just been through hopefully we won't go through again people have been at home more you know they may have been furloughed <laughs> and looking at yeah. their garden and thinking oh Christ, yeah it's so big i'm going to get onto the council i need a haircut we've had a big surge in applications the last few months um and that unfortunately has coincided with a decrease 
in the quality of those applications, often people are putting in the applications and notifications without consulting a tree surgeon, so they're not getting specific advice on the wording of the pruning or what they want to do. Um, so we've had an increase in applications, decrease in the quality of the applications, but also at the same time a decrease in the, in the number of site visits we can actually do. Wow. Usually, if we were to, in order to check whether works are appropriate, you'd go out and have a look at the tree if you can, if the information supplied isn't sufficient for you to do a desktop survey. So yes, it's been busy. And I think I'm not alone in saying that the public sympathy for COVID-related delays is, is in the way. People are much less tolerant if you say that you can't come out and have a look at their tree um, because of COVID restrictions than they were perhaps three or four months ago. Well, I know everybody's sort of trying to get back to normal now, but mm. I mean, is there a role um, as a tree officer to do some public education on, on how trees should be managed? Or, or have you got so absolutely. many roles to fulfil that it's just overwhelming? Uh, no, absolutely. And that was the best part of the job when I was a planning tree officer. I think actually going to visit people and talk to them mm. about their trees, I used to love, love that. It's difficult in local authority at the moment. We've had 10 years of austerity, and I don't think people outside of local government understand how much has been pared back. I mean, I'm extremely fortunate in Islington to have a team as large as I do. And that's largely because we do income generation as well. We do a lot of work for tree management for other local authorities, charities, um, and private landowners. So that bulks us up. So, so as a local authority, you actually deliver services to other local authorities as well so that you get some money in. But you know what I've noticed in the last 10 years as a consultant and an ex-tree officer, is how many local authorities either don't replace a tree officer when they leave or retire mm. or actually yep. make them redundant and think that they can go ahead without these in-house services. And I think that's really dangerous. It's dangerous for protected trees, but also for the really important trees and the planning process as yeah. well. I, think I completely agree. Having a good tree officer, and I think we've said this before, it brings up other professions. You bounce off each other. So a, a yeah. good tree officer will bring the best out of a good consultant, and a good consultant will bring the best out of a good tree officer. Same with the tree surgeons. There is a symbiosis between all of us yeah, that, that we can improve not only our professions, but also the tree stocks we're working in. I think it's become part of the disparity between different local authorities is quite shocking. And you're right, I really don't envy my colleagues who are working out on their own, perhaps either individually in a public realm as a tree officer or individually as a, as a planning officer on their own in the planning department for a whole council. Yeah. There is so much to work to do as a tree officer. It's almost impossible to, to improve the processes and the situation you're in when you're just inundated with work and getting the funding to make sure that tree management is taken seriously by local authorities is definitely a priority to, to safeguard uh, UK trees. Yes absolutely so two things have come out of that really one is um, perhaps not where you're working but a sense of loneliness for some tree yeah. officers who are the sole expert in their local authority but fortunately there are some fantastic organisations. We've got the Association of Tree Officers, which is the national body. And where you are, you've got the London Tree Officers Association, which I believe you're involved in. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to be um, on the executive committee for the LTOA. We've also got our colleagues, the Municipal Tree Officers Association yeah. as well. Up in the yeah. But there's lots of little groups all around the country and ATO's trying to help bring those together, which is great. Yeah. Um, but with the London Tree Office Association, I, you know, you're absolutely right. And there is a wealth of knowledge and expertise. You find yourself trying to reinvent the wheel and just a quick exchange on a forum or talking to colleagues 
you can quickly find out who's made the wheel and the turbocharger better than yeah. you have and get things moving pretty quickly. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. In fact, their websites are all really interesting to the members of public as well, absolutely. aren't they? Information like dog damage on trees, for example. Yeah. I've never even heard of that until I started doing that work. Um, so it gives you that emotional backup as well, as well as technical backup. Excellent um, working parties as well. So they're quite quick to adapt now, especially with the LTOA now. Um, if you have an interest or if there's an issue or, or something's coming to a head, um, you can set up a working party. And so there's a number of working parties, which is smaller groups, subgroups of tree officers working to find solutions for different issues. They've been really successful in the past. We're going to hear, hear about that at the end of the year um, with the LTOA on, on this podcast. The other point you made, which I really, um, really chimes with me, is the fact that there is a symbiotic relationship, or there should be, between the tree officer yeah. and the consultant working together, elevating each other, dare I say, to yeah. increasingly explore different ways of making the treescape better, be it through... Yeah. The consultants approach with dealing with the development side with their clients together with the strong policies that you might form as a local authority so that's when it works really well sometimes it doesn't work so well for either party reason maybe lack of resources but one of the reasons that we're talking about this today is because as i say there might be somebody listening who doesn't know what a tree officer is but it's exciting also because there's going to be apprenticeship schemes isn't there one of the big problems with tree officership, I believe, is the fact that there's no direct, clear uh, career routes to becoming a tree officer. People don't know it's there for a start. They don't know tree officers exist. Yeah. Um, but also there's not a great deal of training, specific training to do for that. So I've got colleagues who are working on providing courses to become tree officers, yeah. but also apprenticeships, not only at the beginning to start an introductory level apprenticeship, but also an apprenticeship, say, to come off the tools. So you might have a qualification in tree work to, as a tree surgery operative and then want to move into an office. There's an apprenticeship there. And then there's another apprenticeship, hopefully, from moving from arboricultural or tree officer into arboricultural manager, so a level six apprenticeship. So getting those apprenticeships on board, getting a career route, getting a defined profession yeah. um, together will help because at the moment, it's really actually quite hard to find tree officers. If, well, if, if you've got a job open, and yeah. I've said this before, Sharon, but yeah. I don't understand why. With the, with the glory, the power, the money <laughs> involved, I don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to be a true Well, officer. actually, I, I don't understand it either. Because, I mean, it's a great <laughs> career, and I did it myself for 13 years. But people just don't know it's there. I think apprenticeships no. are going to be really, really helpful in that way. You're listening to Tree Lady Talks with John Ryan, the Arboricultural Manager of the London Borough of Islington, UK. Tell us a little bit about your borough. So you're Islington. Well, Islington, I've been there for a while now. It's, it's, it's a very small borough. It's only about three miles by four, quarter of a million people, very densely populated, the smallest amount of green urban space in any of the central London boroughs. Um, a high level of development. We have some issues. Uh, there's a, quite a high level of social deprivation, very closely intermingled with some very affluent areas in Islington. We have about 40,000 trees that we manage there. Most of them are on housing land or highways, not so many in parks. And um, we've got a canopy cover of 25%. If you look down on Islington, 25% of Islington is covered by tree cover, which is amazing. So how did you find that out? 
Well, we commissioned a survey. We kind of knew what it was. We thought it was about 22, 23% just from, mm. there was the London Eye Tree survey before, but we commissioned tree economics. So I, I'm, I, I was a big fan of the work that Kenton and his team are doing um, with Eye Tree. Mm-hmm. And um, we asked them to do a canopy cover survey. Um, and that largely because we were being set targets. And I didn't want to be set targets to improve canopy cover without knowing exactly what we had. And where, also, I just, I just want to know where our trees are. Oh, of course. You know, just professional <laughs> curiosity. Where, where are they? It's been a very useful tool uh, to quantify it slightly. London is around 21%. Is there an average canopy cover? And I think the urban UK canopy cover is around 17.5. So we're doing really well. Considering I've got a medieval street layout in the south of the borough, which isn't really very good for planting trees in. But on the back of that as well, talking about where we've got our trees and and what we're we're trying to find out, we're quite data rich in Islington. We have Mm -hmm. a database called EasyTree. And because we manage our trees by surveying them every three years, We've got so much different data, raw data mm-hmm. on our trees, the species, the sizes, the, the canopy covers, the, the, uh, the di- um, circumferences, everything, um, proximity to buildings, all sorts. So we want to see a way to use this information, to put this information into a format that would be useful for us. And also to find out the values of those trees, because to protect my budgets, if I know how hard those trees are working, I can go back to the client department, housing, highways or, or parks and go, well, look, um, your trees are, are providing X amount of value in pollution interception, stormwater interception, um, uh, uh, carbon sequestration, let alone the amenity value or the cab value or the replacement value of those trees. So once they know what their asset is, they can, it's much easier for somebody who doesn't like trees to, to, um, to understand the management of trees if they can see it as a financial valuation against a cost. Given a monetary value under the CABAT, and for anybody yeah. who doesn't know what that is, they can go to the London Tree Officers Association website and, and look at that. Or, and given those incredibly important values about yeah. how hard our trees are working for us, and yeah. making the air purer, making everything cooler. I mean, just to say, we're recording this in over 30 degrees <laughs> centigrade. You know, climate yeah. change is now. I'm melting. So am I. I've, I've actually had a tea towel, wet tea towel on my head. So I'm having a killed in nativity. Um, but, uh, so you've got all these values, and I know that you've broken them down into wards, and that this information yeah. is publicly available, isn't it? That's right. We'll, we'll put a link. I'll give you a link to put onto your website. But we, we, so we, what we really needed to do was break it down into where the trees are, where the geographical locations are, just not in the borough, but also broken down into ward basis, but then into ownership as well. So who owns what and where those are. And then we can really start justifying our existence yeah. and say, you know, um, the environmental benefits from Islington's trees are uh, around £700,000 a year, which for me is, is great because my tree surgery budget's about £600,000 a year. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, instantly I can show that, yes, you're paying out a lot of money for tree surgery, but the benefits are greater than the cost of the tree work. Yeah. You and I inherently know that trees are great and lovely and, and they're brilliant. That's fine for people like us who love trees and are passionate about trees, but it's those who aren't we have to convince. Yes. You're right. Yeah, you touched, you mentioned um, I, I don't have a, a tree planting budget at the moment. Uh, and, and this, again, will allow me to tap into different budgets, not just uh, grants, but also I want to tap into the health budget. 
Yeah. I mean, if, if I can prove that trees are beneficial for health, they're intercepting pollution, they can do all these things, then surely I should be able to tap into different streams of revenue for, for tree planting. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. And, and so what's so interesting about the iTree project is you're able to have the map layer showing where the trees are and overlay yep. that with areas of social uh, inequity because we talk about green equity on this podcast with John Parker and that's also that's right. you're actually putting into action now. What did you find? Well, the, we got Kenton and Tree Economics to put together a quick planting strategy based on the detail that we're, we, we'd already had. So we got the areas of low canopy cover, cross-referenced them with areas of high social deprivation. And then again, with the areas within 40 meters of roads for pollution interception by trees, took out the buildings and the hard surfaces and the existing trees. And that left us with a heat map yeah. of where it would be most beneficial to plant trees. And it was a broad brush. It wasn't, you couldn't use it to identify individual sites, yeah. but very important tool for me to be able to go to the ward councillors, to go to... Uh, different residents and go look this is where you need to plant trees for the greatest benefit if you yeah. give me money for tree planting i can show you that i am going to target where those trees will be best planted we found a lot between the busy highways and estates um, i don't think it's just going to be trees though i think we're going to be looking at where we can't get trees then we want to get hedges and where we can't get hedges then we want green walls yes i think it's gonna yes. we're gonna move into getting more joined up with green infrastructure um uh, and hopefully yeah i, I want to see more hedges in london i know they're a nightmare to maintain but especially next to roads i think that that low level and i mean yes. proximity to, yes. to the, the source of pollution um as well interception is going to be more and more important i mean it's amazing a hawthorn hedge one meter mm. high can really act like a bit of a sponge pushes stuff up and away as well which yeah, is, which yeah. Really no that's really great so you're going to be tackling that and and we've talked about social disparity. How are the people going to get involved with this job? Well, community engagement has suffered. I'm very lucky. I have a team. Having a team, we sometimes struggle with community engagement because you try and get everything else right. And over the last 10 years of austerity, everything's been pared away within local authority. And we don't have a great deal of money left over for public engagement. And I think that's got to change. And something we're doing a big push on at the moment is trying to re-engage with um, with residents we seem to have lost the trust um, and I, th I think it's largely because people are a lot more aware and a lot more passionate about environmental issues and yeah. climate issues and there's been some very high profile problems with um, street trees such as sheffield yeah. uh, and most people who care about trees often don't feel enabled to do much about it and then when they see a tree being pruned or being removed, for whatever reason, it could be a very valid reason, they instantly leap to um, attack the, the body that's, that's carrying out undertaking those works. Mm. So we need to engage with people to show that tree management can be done properly, give them the information that we have in a format that they can use and understand to show that, yes, we are managing, we do care passionately about trees. We're not here for the money, the glory or the power. We do care about the trees and that's why we do it. So I, I, I think... We're going to try and do some more stuff in Islington. We want to try and get the tree warden scheme up and running again. So we've got people who are passionate about trees working with us. We want to do a, a webinar in Islington in November for the local residents, letting them know what we do um, and how we're doing it and try and gain support. And that will lead on, hopefully, to people having a, a greater sense of ownership for the public trees as well. We want people to be able to uh, help us water the trees. 
yeah. help us maintain them um, contact us when they've got found spots they think could be planted um, all, all these things but it does take funding to be able to do this because uh, if you as we said before if you're a lone tree officer working on your own with your head in the office somewhere not having the funding to manage the trees that you've got then making time for that is very very difficult it, it is really difficult, but I think really worthwhile. And um, I've noticed uh, walking around in London doing my work that a lot of local residents are getting more involved with their green spaces, such as planting mm. up old tree pits. And there's been some yeah. movements here and in America, actually, where in city yeah. areas, people are growing food in their spaces. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, say, planting fruit trees? Yeah, I think we're planting a, it's only a small orchard, 12 trees um, on one of our estates this year. Um, I love the idea of people getting uh, more involved with, their, with, with trees in general. So fruit trees are a great way of, of getting residents um, actively engaged. There's a lot of maintenance that goes on. I, you know, I, I don't want to, as, a, as a, an floricultural manager, I am the focus of a lot of complaints about trees. And we, we've had fruit trees on highways before. Um, they take a lot of management because... If you haven't got uh, residents actively supporting and engaging and helping manage and maintain those fruit trees, yeah. then they can get away from you. You know, fruit fall and seasonal nuisance of wasps and other insects. Um, we get a lot of complaints about anyway. So, yeah, once you've got that support, oh, why not? Let's get it done. Yeah. And as somebody who, who does, um, uh, I'm looking at the cider press next week. I'm going to be making my own cider. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, okay, trees yeah. out there. People are sort of eating differently now because um, of Corona. Yeah. Aren't they picking their own food, growing their own food if they're yeah. on a sort of window box scenario? But now that's really good. Now, I know Easton fairly well myself, and it's under huge pressure for developments, both local authority, much needed housing, and private yeah. developments. And you haven't got a lot of open space and your highways are quite full of trees as demonstrated yeah. by your canopy cover which you are going to increase where are these trees going to be planted well it's a struggle um we're a victim of my predecessor's success a bit really um having a 25 percent canopy cover um, we've got, I think I mentioned, we've got the smallest amount of public open green space and parks in any central London borough. So our parks, as, as much as I might like them to be woodlands and for everyone to be forest bathing and in yeah. hybrid fields, um, the parks managers and the public generally, they need open space as yeah, well. Yeah, you too. So I, I've got no place to plant anymore in, in parks in, in Islington. Highways, again, it's quite saturated. All the easy sites are done. We've also, we've got quite a few constraints in Islington. We've got a medieval road layout in the south of the borough, which really doesn't predispose itself to street tree planting. Um, massive amount of services. We've also got subsidence. Yeah. We're about over half the borough is on quite shallow clay. So we have constraints. It's getting more expensive to plant trees than it was, say, 10 years ago, just because we haven't to do more preparation. Because of the underground services, there are major problems. Yeah, but what I, we I do have now, John, which we didn't have 10 years ago, is we've got a much wider range of planting techniques, haven't we? One of the best places to plant, I think, in Islington is on the highways uh, and to lose a car park space. Yeah. Um, it, and we've got the techniques now to excavate road, build up soil inside there with modular systems and get large yeah. trees in. And that way you're permanently removing a car from the highway and the pollution that that brings, but also actively intercepting pollution, stormwater interception, all the benefits that large canopy trees. Uh, the, the council has to make a decision about how much revenue they're losing from a car park space. Yeah. But we're, that's the kind of thing we're, we're looking at. 
also and this is one of my big pets yeah. is i want trees on buildings you know yeah. it's got to be done sharon we've got um a very good strong policy on green roofs and extensive green roofs and that's being amended to include water attenuation so once you've got green roof with water attenuation underneath it on a flat roof and you've designed in the overburden that could so easily just be swapped out for soil and you've got trees on buildings. Yeah. It can be done. It's being done elsewhere. I really do think that if we're going to hit our targets, and I'm very hopeful we managed to get it into the local plan draft and hopefully it makes it all the way through that developers now have to consider trees on buildings. In five, ten years time, if we get them to go, developers have to prove that they can't have trees on buildings. Yeah. And then 10 years after that, it'll be Developers have to, you have to have trees on buildings. It's pushing the onus on to developers to have to pay for these things. But I can't see where else the money's going to come from, Sharon. Yeah, I think also it's going to make our cities so so much more bearable. You know, yeah. the temperatures are going to rise. We've got yeah. to have more trees to give us more shade and put them on buildings. Absolutely. On balconies, I mean, there's that famous yeah. building in Italy. Bosco Vertical, yes. yeah. Um, that's got to be the way forward. It's about building resilience, isn't it? You've got, yeah. to, you've got to build resilience. And um, one of the things the inventory came out with, uh, one of the, 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 the good facts that, are, that surprised me was uh, that we've got 262 different tree species in Islington on public land. And I've inherited a great palette of trees in response largely to climate change. I mean, central London's two degrees warmer than areas outside of London already. You know, I can't imagine what it's like today. It's going to be absolutely scorching. So we've got to build that resilience in. And you're right. I think the only way to do that is, is to get green walls, get the trees in, get the canopy cover up, get suds working, get water attenuation where you've had water capturing stormwater. It's all got to link up. 262 species of trees is brilliant because we need that yeah. diversity. We need to look at different species yeah. of plants that we wouldn't we ordinarily have thought of that can tolerate yeah. hotter conditions. That's great. So what's your dream scenario? Oh, air conditioning and a cold <laughs> beer. <laughs> yeah, we need that today. I think that the, the management of trees has to have a clearer career route for tree officers. We need a clearer career route and ensure that tree officership and tree management for local authorities is properly funded. And I think that's the cornerstone of, of, of having appropriate tree management in your local authority and health, having a healthy and resilient tree stock. A tree stock that's going to be resilient to climate change, to future incoming pests and diseases. We really do need to do that. And the way we're going to do that, I think, is to make it more inclusive. We, we need to appeal as a profession to a broader range of people. We need to get it out there that it's a great profession to be in. If you love trees, um, it's, it's a really good place to be. Yeah, you really can feel that you can make a difference um, to tree numbers, tree health, tree education. It's an absolutely great career. And I just want to yeah. thank you so much, John, for your time on this very hot day. I'm just sharing your welcome, story Sharon. and your aspirations for Islington more trees different locations let's put them on buildings let's have lots of different species and and so look forward to the um, emerging apprenticeship scheme and the link to your canopy cover assessment will be on the sharon hosegood associates website on the Brilliant. lady talks tab i'll add a link there's a little link as well to a website the micro site that had all the values as well which is quite interesting from tree economics difference i'll put that Fabulous. All right, take care. Go and enjoy your afternoon. You too. Off. Take care. Thank you, Sharon. Bye. Well, that was really interesting what uh, John was saying about 
how difficult it is to find tree officers because no one knows where to look for the jobs. I mean, have you experienced that in employing people over the years? Well, generally, I know that it's hard to find tree officers and it's hard to get tree consultants as well. There's a real shortage out there. But what he was saying about um, heat mapping and, and that's where we can sort of design the tree cover for certain places. I think that's a fascinating, fascinating thing, isn't it? Well, I think the job's evolving. I mean, they're the nuts and bolts of what they do, but with all the new technology, things are really moving forward. And to address green equity, it's a really exciting development in the future of tree officers. And he's really passionate, John. I really like the way that he puts it across. He's, you know, he's, he really is getting into his subject a lot. And so good luck to him. I hope he does shake it up at his LinkedIn. So where are we going next week? Well, we're going to leave the hot city streets and go into the call of the forest. Exciting, yeah. exciting. What are we going out outside of outside of the UK? We are. We're going to meet Lacey Rose from Canada and Mima Letts from the UK. Mima and Lacey. That's right. That gives me an idea. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist it. Well. These two young ladies have a great career in forestry, so we're going to learn a little bit about sustainable forest practice. But we're also going to hear about how they've been pioneering to get greater diversity in the industry. Lacey's been involved with a movement called Women in Wood, and Mima has been involved with Tree Sparks, a social enterprise. Can't wait to have this double act with them, so listen out.